This lesson is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. To the church in Philadelphia, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. With those good words ringing in our ear, thank you, Emmaus. We come now on this day of intersection, an intersection of Pentecost and Memorial Day, an intersection of the Old Testament and the New being heard right here in the book of Revelation, an intersection of even the unofficial beginning of summer, right? And all of the special trips and things and memories that uh, are are a a part of that. But, you know, these kind of intersections, it's not unusual for God. And we'll even hear it in the letter to the church in Philadelphia today. For God to use those moments in history to speak truth into our hearts. For example, on Memorial Day, as we consider the gifts of those who gave in full measure for us, I often think of those words in that now Uh, old movie Saving Private Ryan when the captain near his last breath said to Ryan who was now living and would live because of the sacrifice of his comrades as his captain said to him earn this now that moment of course had already been given to him He, he couldn't earn it in one sense because the gift had already been given But it was a call to respond, to live as though someone had died for him because they did. And he could live with the misery of guilt for that or he could live with the significance of meaning. And so he would ask later to his wife after living his life, have I lived a good life? We discover Again, here in the letter to the church in Philadelphia that suffering matters. And it can either lead to misery or to hope. Unlike the church in Sardis that we heard about last week that Jesus said was dead, although it had a good reputation and was successful and well known. The church in Philadelphia was weak, not known for its strength, and yet It was only one of two churches not criticized at all by Jesus in this letter. Encouraged, rather, for their faithfulness. They lived 
as though someone had died for them because he did. The greatest friend, Jesus. So God isn't calling us to our competency or calling us for our success. He's calling us, as he called the church in Philadelphia, to be faithful. And the power isn't in us. As we hear in this Pentecost Sunday reading, and as we actually hear in this church in Asia Minor, just a few verses before in the beginning of the chapter in verse 1, that the Spirit, the seven spirits, he's talking about the, the perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives us power in every circumstance. He is with us. Now, author, speaker, and uh, well-known Christian leader Bob Goff wrote this recently. He said, I used to think I could shape the circumstances around me. But now I know Jesus uses those circumstances to shape me. Those circumstances that were shaping the church in Philadelphia in Asia Minor, don't mistake this with the one in Pennsylvania, by the way, were difficult. And how did they endure? And it was the power, as we heard in verse 1 of this chapter, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we read in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, tells us it brings the washing and regeneration of the Spirit. That word washing and regeneration in Greek is actually just one word. And it'll sound kind of familiar when I say it to you in English. Polygenesis taking us to a new beginning. The Holy Spirit is doing a new thing, a new beginning. The hearers, as one pastor pointed out, uh, knew in reading this about every millennial or so there would be an earthquake, and I'll talk more about that, or a fire that would wipe everything out and there'd be a new beginning and the fire of the Holy Spirit coming is bringing a new beginning, a palogenesis. Regeneration and washing by the Spirit. This Spirit-inspired word in the letters uh, to these churches in Revelation actually did what it was set out to do to sustain them during difficult times. Let me tell you about some of the circumstances that this church in Philadelphia faced in particular, there had been a cult well known in Philadelphia to be a house cult. And a new thing is happening now in Philadelphia instead of a house cult, house churches, where the spirit of God is moving and recreating something new. They lived at a time where, uh, as we've heard in other cities, where although we know our Faith ancestors, the Jews, have been persecuted through the centuries. At the time, they were given an exception from having to call Caesar Lord. But the Christians didn't get that exception. And I began to wonder, uh, why? Why why did we not get the pass too? And I read in Larry Hurtado's book, Destroying of the Gods, he said the difference was is that uh, the, the Jewish community was... Uh, 
a small ethnic group that pretty much stayed to themselves. Whereas the Christians were multi-ethnic and expanding. And multi-social, slaves or free, anyone of any class, and it was attractive and it was growing and it was spreading like a wildfire and it was considered by Flinney and others to be a clear and present danger to the empire. And so around the time of a, a new emperor around 98 AD to around 117 AD, Christianity actually became illegal in the Roman Empire, under the Roman Empire. And so whether this letter was written as some think right before that or right at the beginning of that, it was written to prepare and sustain a church under this kind of circumstance. The kind of circumstances we read, and I'll share it in English as it's recorded in Latin and history of actual conversation with a proconsul and six Christians whose names we have. And if we read this dialogue, it reads almost like a transcript from a court case where the proconsul is calling these six Christians to recant their faith and they refuse. And he warns them, he said, well, you know, the, the result of not recanting your faith will be execution. So he says, not really wanting to kill them, let me give you 30 days to think about it. And the response is, we don't need 30 days. We are followers of Christ. We are Christian. And so the boldness of their confession, not their success, not how strong they were, not how much power they had, but the boldness of their faithfulness is what God was using by the power of his spirit to expand. The, the Roman Empire was uh, growing in Christians because they were so impressed by this stand of faith. Unlike Sardis, who blended in, the church in Philadelphia stood out because of their faithfulness. And this multi-ethnic, multi-social class church was growing and considered a threat. And this word in Revelation sustained them. And friends, I want to share with you today, it can sustain you in whatever you're facing. Whatever challenges you might be facing in this culture or in your family or in this life that we lead, it can sustain you and prepare us for what is ahead. And the images that we get in today's text are threefold. We get a door, a key, and a pillar. And in this door that Jesus has the authority to open and close, most scholars uh, will agree that that means the opportunity to share the gospel, the open door to share the gospel. But there are also, he mentioned, closed doors. Jesus was all too familiar with closed doors. As one preacher put it, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't seeking out persecution or suffering wasn't longing for that. In fact, he asked the Father, Lord, if it would be your will, take this cup from me. And it was a closed door. That cup would not be removed from him. He would be forsaken. He would suffer. 
He would be forsaken so that God will never forsake us. Sometimes uh, we look at the past suffering or the suffering that we're experienced and only see the misery, but don't see the meaning. The meaning that in that movie, Private Ryan would come to understand. The meaning that these faithful Christians in history in Philadelphia would come to understand. The meaning of the good news of the gospel. To preserve, persevere longer in doing good and doing what the Lord has opened before us to do as Johnny Tata Erickson, who some of you might remember preached here a few years ago. She has spent her whole adult life in a wheelchair and she talks about perseverance as doing hard things for longer than you think you can and then realizing when you get through the other side that it was the Lord sustaining you all along. Others have suffered so that we can finish. Jesus has suffered so that we can finish the race. And the Holy Spirit comes. God doesn't seek your power to do that. He gives us his. He sends the Holy Spirit to sustain us. Jesus prays in John 17, my prayer is not that we take them out of the world, but you you protect them from the evil one. Believers, we are not taken out of the world. We are continuing in this difficult world that we live in. And sometimes that includes suffering. He doesn't remove us from that, but he sustained us. And as he sustained his church in Philadelphia and the seven churches in Asia Minor, with this word, the spirit-filled word in Revelation, he sustains us with an open door of opportunity to stand firm and share the good news of the gospel with everyone that we meet. This Pentecost celebration that we celebrate today is also another intersection Intersection between the Old and New Testament. For when this Pentecost came 50 days after Easter, Penta, which means 50, it was also a celebration that had already begun generations before, 50 days, called Pentecost as well, after the Passover. A grain celebration, but really had become by this time a celebration of the coming of the law that was given to them at Mount Sinai. The coming of the covenant with God. And when that law came, it, God was present with his people with, by cloud and by fire. And now God speaks to us with the Holy Spirit, with tongues of fire on Pentecost, bringing a polygenesis, a new beginning for his people, a fulfillment of his promise, a new law, a new covenant through Christ Jesus our Lord, a regeneration. And will we keep that to ourselves with this open door? Or will we share it, even if it means being considered dangerous? You might ask, have I lived the right and good life as Ryan did? But the good news I have to share with you today is that that right and good life is given to you. You receive the righteousness of Jesus from him. Our response is just to remain faithful to this calling. 
And so in the midst of this suffering, it does matter. And when there are doors closed, our Savior, who knew that would happen, also holds the key. And so we hear in this text about the key of David. The key of David first mentioned for us again, intersecting the Old Testament and Isaiah. The one who holds the key is the king, has authority over everything that it unlocks. There's a couple images going on here, one from the Old Testament, one from the context in Philadelphia, and one just from what it was like to have a a home in the first century. It wasn't too hard to get into a first century home. In fact, some of them uh, had to be allowed to allow, as one pastor noted, uh, traffic, human traffic to come through because it was part of the pathway of traffic where the home was built. And so because of that, in homes in that day, everything was locked. The cupboards were locked. The personal belongings were locked. And the only way to get into it is to have authority in that home as if you had the key. And the key, the keys of David, the king, the one who has authority over everything, is held by Jesus And he comes and gives us the keys to the kingdom to live them out now. Jesus holds the key to your heart. Every detail, outer and inner part of your life, Jesus has the authority over. He has the key. And so we find out that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord, not anything else in your life. Not even your own self-definition. Jesus is Lord, he holds the key. There's another image here that's being picked up on. As many commentators will also point out, these Jewish Christians had been kicked out, many of them, from the synagogue, had been locked out falsely. So Jesus says to them with a word of hope, and he says to you with a word of hope, I hold the key, you will not be locked out of my kingdom. The world might find you dangerous, but the Savior knows, a Savior who knows what it means to be locked out, a, a God who knows what it means to suffer, will be with you no matter the circumstance. This is the one who has the key of life. And he says, as he does earlier in the text, our names will be written in the book of life. And now he says our names will be written on a pillar, a sure, strong, powerful pillar. Now, in the time of the city of Philadelphia, it was a custom there that if you had made an impact of significance, your name would be written on one of the pillars there in the city. Jesus is telling his church that what they're doing, the suffering matters, the stand for the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, holding fast manners, and your name will be written on a pillar, but not like the pillars of Philadelphia, but a permanent one, for this city was also known for something else, earthquakes. In 17 AD, the whole city had been wiped out. Jesus makes the point in this letter that you will be in a permanent pillar, one that no earthquake can ever wipe out. The power of the Spirit will regenerate and bring renewal. This polygenesis, this new beginning, lets us know that there's a new genesis coming. 
And these words and revelations sustain them. And I pray today as sustaining you to hold fast and to share the good news of the gospel, even if you're considered dangerous. Jesus opened the door with opportunity. Jesus is the key of David with his authority. And Jesus is the pillar that no earthquake can ever shake with our name written on it, making an impact for the kingdom of God. And so I pray today, let this intersection, this moment, open by the Holy Spirit with, who calls us to faith, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Let's not go home on this Memorial Day and forget that someone has died for us. But let's also not forget as a church to remain faithful like Philadelphia. To live our faith out like someone has died for us because he has. And his name is Jesus. And he is risen again and he is with us now. By giving us his Holy Spirit to call, convert, convict, and consecrate us to make us Holy thine. Amen.